Great singing, uh, just great hymns. It's, it's just such a joy to sing, isn't it? A lot of the world, right? Like, who sings? Uh, we sing, and we sing about truth, and we sing about our God, and, and we sing with joy. And it's something that's missing in the world. And when you listen to the kinds of songs the world writes and sings and, and makes, uh, no place but the church do we get together to just lift our voices in unison to sing uh, praises and worship to God our King. And so uh, it's just wonderful be, to be able to do that. And as we continue to go to God's Word and, and hear from it, uh, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8. So we've been, we've been going through this Gospel and we started looking at verses 31 to 59 last week. We didn't quite make our way through the entire passage, so I just want to give you a bit of a refresher in terms of where we're at in this passage, because it really is a unit. It should be taken as a unit. And so in verse 30 of chapter 8, we were told, you remember, that many of the Jewish people that heard Jesus at the feast believed in him, it said, after Jesus presented himself as the light of the world. But we ask the question, um, and it comes out in this chapter, of what kind of belief was it, right? That's a very important point that John makes in his gospel. Was it genuine saving faith, or was it a spurious false kind of faith? Were they going to turn out to be true disciples of Jesus, or were they going to turn out to be false disciples. John has been going through this in his gospel, if you've been with us, in several different occasions, making the point, like in chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, or John chapter 6, verse 66, he's making the point that there is a spurious kind of faith. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, Jesus says, will be entering into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says, I believe in Jesus, actually truly believes in Jesus. It's very easy to say those words, right? It's very easy. You could sit there right now in your chair and you could say, unless you have a physical impairment, you could at least say it in your mind, if not verbally outward, I believe in Jesus. And if you say those words, I believe in Jesus, does that automatically mean, therefore, you are saved? And the answer is no. Because even the demons believed that Jesus is the Son of God, and they weren't saved. Remember? They said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus silenced them. And others in the gospel said they believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew their belief wasn't true. And in this case, this is the kind of belief we've been looking at in John chapter 8. Because you'll find that the very people in John 8.30 who are said to believe in Jesus, these very same people end up being people that Jesus identifies as being slaves to sin, uninterested in Jesus' words, 
children of the devil. He calls them liars, and he actually calls them murderers, and he says, you are of your father, the devil. How about that? I believe in you, Jesus, and Jesus says, on the contrary, you are a liar, a murderer. You are one who has as his father the devil. Jesus knew their belief was spurious. What was it that triggered them to respond in this way to Jesus and then for Jesus to respond in the way he did? What did Jesus say that was so definitive for them? Because he didn't come out immediately and accuse them of being false disciples. Instead, when they said they believed in Jesus, Jesus just let it sit at face value. But then what Jesus did is he drew their attention to something that is key in separating true faith from false faith. What is key there? Jesus draws it out, and it was found in verse 31 to 32 of John 8. He said to them, Okay, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's all he said. They said, I believe. Jesus said, Okay. If you abide in my word, you're truly disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And that was enough to turn them against Jesus. Jesus, in short, was saying, if you want to be my disciple, you must receive me as Savior and Lord. You must receive me for who I am. I am Savior And I am Lord. I am the Lord who calls you to obedience, calls you to follow me. I am the Lord that you are to follow and listen to and obey. And that's how true disciples see themselves. True disciples see themselves as enslaved to sin and under God's judgment. And that's a question I'd put out there for us this morning. Do you see yourself as enslaved to sin and under God's judgment apart from the Lord Jesus Christ? Apart from Christ, is that how you view yourself? A true disciple will see that that is a reality for them apart from Jesus. Secondly, a true disciple believes that Jesus is necessary for their true freedom Jesus is necessary for their true freedom, and he is the only hope for deliverance. And so that's the question put before you this this morning as well. Do you see yourself as enslaved to sin and under God's judgment? And do you see that Jesus is the only one who can deliver you from that judgment? Jesus is necessary for you to be saved. A true disciple of Jesus will see and believe and accept that. And thirdly, 
True disciples persevere in that faith. True disciples persevere in it, meaning you don't just say that once in a church service or in a baptismal service or on one evening in your home and then take Jesus as an insurance policy and go your way. It's not just something you say once and you never say again or believe. It's actually something that you persevere in because you know it's the truth and you cannot look to another. You will not leave Jesus for another savior. You will not leave Jesus for another hope. You will not leave Jesus for another promise that the world gives you of satisfaction and deliverance because you recognize that the only way to be removed from under God's judgment and delivered from slavery to sin, the only way that can happen is if Jesus does it. This is what a true disciple understands. True disciples see this and they obey Jesus' word, they abide, they abide in it, they seek to understand it better, they hold fast to Jesus' teaching, and they find it more precious than gold. They meditate on God's law, on his word, day and night. Isn't that what we just read in Psalm 1? They love the law of God. Now, this is how we... True disciples see it. Now, the false disciples are the exact opposite. These professing believers, they can't follow Jesus' teaching unhesitatingly. They can't. We saw last week they refused it. The minute he said it, they rebelled against it. We saw that not only that, they can't believe that Jesus is the only one necessary for their freedom. They don't believe that they're enslaved to sin or to anyone. They actually think they're free. They think they have freedom and life. They think they're alive and they're living in the light and they can't see why would I need Jesus when I'm perfectly fine all by myself. And so these people who said they believed in Jesus, it's very interesting that these are the things that they say about themselves. They say, we're not enslaved to anyone. What do you mean, Jesus, that we need to be Met, made free. And what did they appeal to? They appealed to their physical lineage. They said, we have Abraham as our offspring. We're free. We're spiritually in the light. We're not like the rest of the world. God gave us his promises and his blessings through Abraham, and we're totally fine, not in darkness. We don't need to be made free. And so Jesus said, you missed the point. Because I'm talking about your enslavement to sin. And then we saw Jesus said, they said to Jesus, well, what about our, our Abraham as our father? Okay, we're of the offspring of Abraham, and we have Abraham as, as our father. And so surely as our father, we have the blessings of Abraham given to us. 
We can appeal to something in the past that we did, and so we have Abraham as our father, and we believe in his word, and we follow the same God as Abraham. And Jesus says to them, no, you're actually listening to a a very different father. And the fact that you're seeking to kill me indicates that you're still enslaved to sin, and you are following a father different than the father that Abraham followed, okay? This is where we've been at. And now they, they have a third objection to Jesus. And notice, Jesus didn't yet say what father that they were following. He's just telling them, you're not of Abraham's descent. You're not following in his footsteps. You're not being an, an obedient man of faith because you're seeking to kill me who's telling you the truth. And so he give, they give now a third objection. And that's where we're going to pick up and read in John chapter 8, and we'll read, we'll look specifically at verse 41b to 47, that's their third objection, and then we'll see the overall response in verse 47 to 59. So let's hear from, let's continue to look at what's happening here in John chapter 8 and how Jesus responds to them about true faith. And we'll actually pick up and read the entire passage, though, from verse 31, so we can hear the context. So John chapter 8, verse 31, many said he believed in him, and here's what happened. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Thus concludes the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the truth that is contained in it. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you have already shown us in this day in enabling us to hear your word read multiple times, allowing us to hear what you would have us as your people to hear and to hear the gospel read and proclaimed that others might see Jesus and be saved. We pray, Father, that now as we seek to understand these verses in a little bit more detail, that you would bless the teaching of it, that we would be strengthened by it and encouraged by it and reminded of the glory of Christ by it, that we would be a people that leave this place not with a spurious kind of faith, but with a faith firmly grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. May none leave here this morning, Father, without being reconciled to you, There is good news offered to each of us this morning, and it is offered to us through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bless us and accompany the preaching of your word, that you would work in the hearts of us here, that you would do a mighty work in drawing sinners to to yourself, 
that you would richly bless us and encourage us and strengthen us. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So here, as I said, in this objection in verse 41b, they understand that Jesus is making it clear that they are not true children of Abraham and insinuating that they are illegitimate children, and this really makes them mad. So much so that you'll notice in this third objection that they actually, they skip right over Abraham and they actually go straight to claiming God as their father. Why is that important? That's important because what they're doing is they are now pitting themselves directly against Jesus. Because who does Jesus say his father is? God the Father. Jesus says, my father is God and he sent me and you don't know him. And I've come here that you might know him. So Jesus is saying, God is my father. And what they do here, they don't even go through Abraham anymore. They actually say, no, Jesus, God is my father. God is our father, even God himself. And so you can see here that they can't both be right. There, there is no relativism here. I know our world loves to talk about truth being relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. You have your truth. I have my truth. My truth is what I want it to be. Your truth is what you want it to be. And we can all go and live life. If everyone would just support and love everyone else who is living their truth, then we can all go and live life peacefully. And Jesus says it, it can't be that way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, God is my father. He sent me, and he's not your father. And what they are saying is, Jesus, you're wrong. God is not your father. God is our father. Boom. Collision course. This is how the world works. This is how it works with the gospel. It sets sinners on a collision course with Jesus. Either Jesus is right or he's not. Either Jesus is who he claims to be or he's not. That's the collision course and everyone is confronted with it and these Jews are confronted with it and they say to him, because they know what he's saying, and they say, we were not born of sexual immorality we have one Father, even God. And by saying that, you know what they're doing? They're attacking Jesus now. They're attacking Jesus because they can't stand toe-to-toe with him in terms of a discussion. They can't stand toe-to-toe as he brings them the truth. And so they resort to ad hominem attacks. We can't really converse with this guy, but you know what we can do? We can attack him. And when they say we weren't born of sexual immorality, you know what? That's kind of a a slight. They're trying to dig at Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, we know about Mary and Joseph. We know that Mary wasn't married to Joseph when you were conceived in her womb. We know that you were born, in a sense, 
out of wedlock in the traditional marriage format. This is what they're accusing him of, of being born of sexual immorality. Of course, we know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, and there was no sexual immorality, for she was a virgin, and the Holy Spirit came and, and had conceived Jesus in her womb. But they don't know that. All they know is something's a fish, fishy here, and you to sit and condemn us? And they try to stick it back to Jesus. You know what, Jesus? You may not allow us Abraham as our father, but we know the scripture. God said, Israel is my firstborn son. He said, I am Israel's father in Jeremiah 31, verse 9. We're going to go straight to him. It is a confrontation, and there's no turning back now. The claims have come head to head. They both can't be true. And so Jesus, he doesn't dispute that the Father did call them his children in the Old Testament. He doesn't dispute that that's applicable to these people. But Jesus is making the point, as he did previously, and the point is this, for them, Jews. Not all Israel, all offspring of Abraham, are truly offspring of God. That's what he's saying to them. Paul says this in Romans 2, 28 to 29. How do you define a true believer? How do you define a true Israelite, a true Israel in, in, in the world, a people of God? Romans 2, 28 to 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, what is true inward is manifested outward. It has to go together, right? You, your inward life is where it really matters if you are truly of God. And for these Jews, their outward life clearly resembled one who had no inward change. Spiritual sonship or daughtership, whether the father is Abraham or God, is a matter of likeness and conduct that is in line with God's will. Why don't I say that again? Spiritual sonship or daughtership whether the father is Abraham in the context of these Jews or God is a matter of likeness and conduct that is in line with God's will. That's what Jesus is saying. Like father, like son. You've heard that phrase, right? Like father, like son. If you belong to Jesus, Jesus is saying, you will conduct yourselves in a way that is in line with my Father. That is true today. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. Discipleship and following Jesus is not just an insurance policy that we take with ourselves as we come before the 
the gates of judgment. Jesus expects his followers to live in a way that abides in his word and obeys him. When he transforms a heart and he makes a new creature, he makes them new so that their desires and life and outlook and behavior are changed. This is what it meant in John 3 to be what? Born again. Born anew. And Jesus is telling them, your sonship, your life and conduct are in line with a different father. Couldn't be more clear. You are lining up, if you look at your life, does it line up with God and his word in Jesus? Or does it line up with another father, another Lord, and does it line up here? It's not complicated. It just hurts. Because if you're relying on yourself for salvation and you're honest and you look at it, like they did, they said, we're not lining up with that, Jesus. We reject you. And when they looked and Jesus exposed their sin, what'd they do? They hated him. They hated him. They didn't really believe in him. They didn't want to believe in him because they were confronted with it. And so the one criteria that Jesus drives home here, if you look at John chapter 8 again, in verse, um, uh, verse 42, look at the criteria Jesus says. You want to know if you're a follower of mine? You want to know if God is your father, rather? He says, if God were your father, you would what? You would love me. How about that? You want to know if you are a true disciple of Jesus? You want to know if God is truly your father? Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Man, do you love Jesus? Not do you love him with your lips, but do you love Jesus with your life? Do you love Jesus that you are willing, if necessary, get this, to lose everything. Are you willing to lose your friends for Jesus? Are you willing to lose your life because you love Jesus? Are you willing to lose everything you hold dear to in this world because you love Jesus? Are you willing to lose yourself because you love Jesus? That one, my friends, in this world is the one that is the most difficult because people love themselves so much that they will do 
anything not to be challenged in terms of their person and their dignity. What they believe is true is so tied in our current culture to the dignity of the person that when it is confronted, all hell breaks loose, so to speak. World War III breaks loose because you are then telling them, Jesus is telling them that you cannot have me and yourself at the same time. Jesus confronts them. And so that's the question for each of us. Do you really love Jesus that much? Because that's what it means to trust him. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God, and I love this, and I am here. You know what he's saying? He's saying God has reached out to you over and over again in the Old Testament. He's given you his word. He's revealed himself to you, to Moses, to the prophets. And now he says, I am here standing right before you. And I didn't come of my own accord, but the Father sent me. And then he just puts it blunt to them, to us. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? I, I put that out to you. If you don't understand what Jesus is saying, why? Why don't you get it? And Jesus puts it like this. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. See what he's saying? You love yourself so much that you can't bear to hear that I'm telling you you need a savior. And I'm the one that came. You can't bear to hear my word, Jesus says, because it confronts you at the core of who you are. If the Jews, therefore, do not embrace Jesus and love him, Jesus says it's because they themselves do not know the Father and they belong to another one. They are listening to another word. They can't bear to hear Jesus' word. They're listening to another, and this is what Jesus says, you are of your father, for the first time he identifies it, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. In other words, my disciples carry on my family name. The disciples of the devil and the world carry on their father's name. Like father, like son, Jesus says. And when Jesus evaluates their heart and their desire, as he does each of ours, when he evaluates the heart of men and women, when they are unbelieving, he knows that at the core of their being, their desires are not his. Their desires are to do the will of their father, who is the devil. And in two ways, he tells this to them. In the first, Jesus says, the devil 
was a murderer from the beginning, probably referring to the fall of Adam and Eve. His goal is to tempt them, to bring death to them and the entire human race. We still live with the consequences of that state and is still active in that work. He, he was active even in Cain and Abel. But the point is, Jesus says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Number one. The second way, he says, the devil was also a liar. He doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So do you see what Jesus is saying? Your desire is to do the will of your father, and your father was a murderer, and your father was a liar. From the very beginning, Satan was a murderer and a liar, and he does what is out of his own character. It is birth. Either God or the devil is going to be right. We know that out of God's character, he does not lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He is incapable of lying. But the devil, on the other hand, his whole character is built around lies, and it goes with the very nature of who he is. And so Jesus says, the reason you do not believe me is because I tell the truth. You do not believe because I tell the truth. You have no ability to believe or to hear because your whole worldview is based off of a lie. You look at the world through a colored lens that is filled with lies and deception. It's filled with murder and hatred and lies and, and improprieties and ungodliness. It's all distorted, Jesus says. Your whole world is distorted. And it's manufactured by Satan, who is the father of lies. And you can't believe me because I'm telling you the truth. And the truth has no place for one who is standing in lies with the father who is their father, who is the devil, right? So Jesus is just telling them the truth. He's confronting them with the truth. And he makes the point that they have no basis for correcting him. Because some people will say, well, that, that bothers me. I don't like that. I could see the Jews saying that. But then they could say, but you know what? You think you're perfect. Have you ever had that? You talk to people, share the gospel with them, you tell them about truth, and then suddenly it all comes back to you. Oh, you think you're so godly. You think you're so righteous, right? That happens all the time. And then people suddenly start confronting you and attacking you because they know that if they attack you, what are they going to find? They're going to find failures. They know if they attack you when you speak the truth that what they're going to find is someone who's not perfect. I don't have to listen to you because you got mad at your wife and you sinned in this way and you sinned in that way and you're sinning in all kinds of ways and you're trying to tell me the truth. I don't need to listen to you. You're a sinner just like me. Why do you think you know better than me? Have you ever had that? I had that all the time. And then this is what Jesus says to them and this is just, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do what Jesus just did here and what he does is this. He actually says to them, I'm telling you the truth. You're not listening to me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? 
He puts it before them. He says, you want to prove that I'm a sinner, which, go ahead, convict me of sin, Jesus says. I know you want to undermine the truth I'm telling you. You want to say that I, you don't have to listen to me. Well, I'll tell you what, you convict me of sin, and you're free to do it. And, of course, the implication is what? They can't. They can't convict him of sin. They cannot find anything wrong with Jesus. They can't find anything wrong in what he said. They can't find anything wrong in his behavior. They can't find anything wrong in his demeanor. They can't see anything wrong with Jesus at all. And that's why Jesus says, listen, I'm here. I am here to tell you the truth. I'm here to bring you out of the deliverance from your enslavement to sin to save you. And you don't believe in me. Prove me wrong. And they can't. They can't do it. His life is so pure before them that they just can't say anything. And he says, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And again, Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Beloved, We're going to end there this morning. And I'm not going to go through verses 47 to 59. But I do want to draw the main point, and it's this. When Jesus, and they're confronting Jesus, they're confronting Jesus in a way that reveals and confirms, I'm not going to go through all of it, it reveals and confirms their unbelief. They answered him, they called him a Samaritan, they called him demon-possessed. Jesus is like, I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not seeking my own glory. He says, the Father as judge is seeking my glory. If anyone keeps my word, he says in verse 51, he will never see death. Let me say that again. If anyone keeps my word, Jesus says, he will never see death. Jesus is telling them, again, I've come here for your salvation I've come here to give you life. And if you keep my word and you believe in me and you trust me and you abide in my word, Jesus says, you will not see death. Now, who is the one who can give life? God. Who is the one who brings death? Satan. The Old Testament has all been about these promises of God to bring a redeemer he revealed himself to Adam and Eve. He revealed himself to Noah. He revealed himself to Abraham. He revealed himself to Isaac, Jacob, right? 
he revealed himself to Moses. And do you remember when he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush? He revealed himself to Moses as he's sending him to Egypt. And Moses says, who should I tell them is coming to deliver them? Do you remember that? And God says to Moses, tell them I am has sent you. This is what he says to them. And here Jesus is saying, here I am now. I've come to deliver you from death, from sin, from enslavement. And Jesus says, all the things I'm showing you are showing you that I am that God. And they keep denying him, keep denying him, keep rejecting him. And then here at the very end of this passage, as they are now getting really, really mad at Jesus, and they're attacking him and they're rejecting him, they come to the point where they're saying, are you greater than Abraham? They say, who do you make yourself out to be? And they said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, he says, it all comes down to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. He makes it so abundantly clear that he is their creator. He is the one who made them, who formed them. He is the one who loves them. He is the one who wants to save them. He is God of gods and King of kings. He is the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the great I am. And he says, I have come into the world that you might have life. And if you believe in me, in my sacrifice, in my atonement, in my forgiveness, you will have life. But if you reject me, you will have death. You know what they did at the end? They rejected him. How did they reject him? They picked up stones to throw at him, to kill him. What's your response, beloved, this morning? Would you rather kill Jesus and see him out of the world? Or do you love him? And I mean, truly love him. My prayer is that each of us would love him this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning not because we have loved you first, that is so abundantly clear in your word. We come before you this morning because you have loved us first. We were the ones who rebelled against you and sinned against you. We were the ones who disobeyed your word and lived as those enslaved to sin and unrighteousness. We were the ones who have been filled with anger and ungodliness and desires and passions that aren't in line with how you created your world. We are the ones who have lusted in our hearts and we've committed murder in our hearts and we've lied in our hearts and we've done many of these things outwardly, not even only inward. We're the ones who when you created the heavens and the earth, decided to become gods of our own making and rebelled against you. And so we did not love you as we ought to have loved you. We 
did not love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. We did not love our neighbor as ourselves. We did not keep your commandments faithfully, but we broke them over and over and over again. And we broke them so many times, Father, that we have become just so used to breaking your law that we were living in darkness that we could not even see that we are in the midst of it, much like those that we read about. But yet in your grace and your mercy, because you first loved us when we were enemies of yours, you came and died for our sins. You came into the world to save and redeem the unlovable. And indeed, we know just how unlovable we are and we were. Thank you for showing us grace, Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming into this dark world that you might bring the light of the gospel and the hope of God to a fallen world. Thank you for speaking truth and pursuing truth and for being the truth even when the world rejects the truth. We pray, O oh God, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to stand firm in that truth that we would not waver that Jesus is the great I am, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and that every knee will bow before him. Help us, O oh Lord, to be faithful, to proclaim that message, and to call others to come to you, Lord Jesus, because we know you not as a as a grouch or someone angry or someone unloving, but we know you as a loving, gentle, kind Savior who tells us the truth not because he hates us, but precisely because you desire us to know you rightly. We pray that you would work that truth in our hearts, that we would love you more, Lord Jesus, than we do. We cannot love you enough. And when we think we have loved you enough, we are quickly finding out, Lord, that we have still fallen short. But you have made up for that by loving us first. We pray, God, that there would be none that would leave this place without bowing the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. May you do a work of redemption. May you work in the hearts of of your people to encourage us and strengthen us and to maybe even, Lord, save some. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.